Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan In the last couple of weeks, we've discussed a lot of the things we find in our environment and how they're making us very sick. We particularly focused on glyphosate and GMO, although there are a lot of other cast of characters that are perhaps synergistic, making these even worse. These include electromagnetic frequencies, fluoridating the water. But we've showed that genetically modified foods on their own cover a risk, you know, a pustize work. And then the glyphosate, the herbicide that goes with it, is causing extreme problems. And as I said, uh, Dr. Serolini discovered recently that the adjuvants in Roundup, in which you find glyphosate, is arsenic and even compound the situation worse. Well, we're going to continue on this theme for just a little bit longer because I think this is a very important one. So with us today, we have John Kamen. And he wrote the book, Liberty and Sickness for All, The Toxins in Our Food, Environment, and in Our Mind. Now, who is John Kamen? He's an ordinary citizen who's been disillusioned with the status quo of food and medicine industries. He decided to educate himself on the effects of toxins in our food, genetically modified organisms, agrochemicals, and cancer. When his wife was diagnosed with cancer nearly five years ago, he decided to delve in this even further. He researched the scientific literature and discovered a whole world that has been largely hidden from the public. He and his wife decided to treat the cancer naturally, and as a result, his wife is now cancer-free and healthier than ever. So he feels compelled to want to share this information with with the public, and has done so by writing and publishing his book, aptly named with liberty and sickness for all. So welcome to the show, John. Uh, Well, thank you, Susan. Thank you for the kind introduction. I'm honored to be on your show. Well, um, I'm honored to have a researcher that's committed enough to have done research and trying to educate the public as uh, everyone else is on the show. So before we get into this, in the last two shows, I mentioned Arspartane and the history of bringing Arspartane into this country. Because as we mentioned in the last few shows, uh, when genetically modified foods originally came out in the United States, the scientists in the FDA warned against it. Say, wait a minute, we need more time here to look into this. There could be adverse consequences. The FDA plowed ahead. When genetically modified foods were looked into in England, in Europe, uh, Dr. Pustai got shut down. I mean, this involved the call from Monsanto to Clinton and Tony Blair, who shut down Dr. Kustai's research, and his house was even burglarized. So there's a lot of things going on behind the surface, looking at electromagnetic frequencies and other toxins. Perhaps these are all synergistic. There's a law passed in 1996 in the U.S. We can't alter the placement of a cell tower for health reasons. Yet I interviewed Swiss farmers in Europe. They all got sick when cell towers went in, and I think our firemen are beginning to notice this as well. So 
Before we delve into genetically modified foods, can you tell us a little bit about the history of bringing aspartame to the market? Yes, um, aspartame was uh, discovered by accident. Uh, and um, originally, um, uh, when, when they did studies on aspartame, they, they found that uh, it was causing cancer and other uh, diseases in, in rats. And um, they continued to push ahead with it and, and tried to get it FDA approved, uh, but the FDA noticed all the uh, health effects that were uh, reported in the studies, and they decided to push it back to the manufacturer and do some more testing. And um, they they con continue to do different tests and continue to see toxicity in the animals. And uh, so they started modifying the test results, uh, taking tumors out of of uh, animals and presenting them as healthy animals, or waiting a full year sometimes until the animal decayed so that you couldn't really tell, you know, if there was any pathology in the animal. And they presented these results to the FDA, uh, and the FDA wouldn't have it. Uh, they, they noticed those discrepancies and uh, all the problems with the studies. So uh, they went back and forth for years, and uh, eventually the FDA decided uh, that they're going to sue the manufacturer along with the CDC. Uh, for um, intentionally uh, falsifying reports. And um, eventually uh, the government intervened, uh, Donald Rumsfeld intervened and um, got aspartame approved. Uh, they, uh, he also got the CDC and the FDA to drop the, the lawsuits, and, um, and that's how aspartame got approved. Uh, since then, of course, there's been... Um, thousands and thousands of reports uh, submitted to the FDA from people who've had adverse reactions from aspartame. But, uh, of course, those are all, even though they're in the public domain now, the FDA is really not doing anything about it. Uh, and aspartame has continued to be introduced into, uh, into the food supply. That's quite alarming. I mean, especially when the FDA was protecting us and going after these, this organization for altering um, research results. But then, uh, as you described in your book, there was a committee within the FDA that two people voted for aspartame and three against. So then somehow or other, there was a third person appointed to this committee, so the vote was a tie, and then somebody else could intervene so that aspartame was passed and put into our food supply. Very scary. That's right. That's right. Yes, it was. I believe the director of the FDA uh, intervened and, and broke the tie in favor of aspartame, in favor of the manufacturer. Very scary. And another similar issue is they're fluoridating our water, which has a lot of health effects. But Dr. Kennedy, who's coming on in the future, will tell us more about that. So let's get back to, I mean, obviously you've got two themes here. You're looking at the toxins, and of course, with your interest in cancer, you're looking at a lot of uh, different approaches to cancer that, you know, weren't readily offered to you when you started your journey. So let's look at the GMOs. Why is the safety of GMOs such a contentious issue? Well, Susan, there's industry science and there's independent science. When you look at the industry science, they claim safety, but when you look deeper, you see, for example, organ damage and tumor formation. 
In many cases, the scientists intentionally alter the test results to remove undesirable outcomes by cutting out tumors, as I mentioned before, and documenting the remaining uh, animal as a healthy specimen, or by altering the feed uh, of the placebo group to make differences seem insignificant. That way they can say, you know, there's no statistical significance between the, between the GMO or the non-GMO or the toxin and, the, you know, other, other substances in the food. Uh, now, when you look at independent science, on the other hand, nearly all independent studies show organ toxicity and carcinogenicity. Another big issue is our government pushing the technology for profit over health. For example, in 2007, the U.S. ambassador to France, Craig Stempleton, sent a diplomatic cable requesting that retaliation be brought against France and other EU nations who oppose GMOs. Yet another issue is the misinformation campaign surrounding GMOs. It is so effective that even intelligent, educated people are misinformed. For example, the famous astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson and TV personality Bill Nye after having a meeting with Monsanto executives, uh, have, they started uh, publicly speaking in favor of GMOs by spouting the industry tagline that we have been genetically modifying crops for thousands of years, essentially equating natural breeding techniques with genetic engineering, which we know obviously is not true. To the lay public or even scientists who might not understand the distinctions, that might be convincing, but it is absolutely a fallacy. In natural breeding techniques, there are natural boundaries that cannot be crossed. You can't even cross an apple tree with an orange tree, even though both are trees. However, with genetic engineering, uh, technicians cross not only different species, but entirely different kingdoms, such as crossing a plant with viruses, bacteria, and animals. However, since nature will not allow such crossbreeding. Genetic engineers have to jump through all sorts of hoops to force the new genetic material to incorporate into the plant genome. And the way this is done is entirely random and causes all sorts of mutations, side reactions, and transpositions, the jumping of genes from one location to another location on the DNA strand, uh, which leads to all sorts of potential uh, the production of toxins and allergens that might not be detected. The GMO, and the, the GMO industry also uses people like Henry Miller to fabricate all sorts of lies for them, writing articles in newspapers and other publications to misinform the public. Over the years, Henry Miller has defended cigarette companies, chemical companies, and all sorts of nasty toxins, uh, all, all for basically money. Uh, and the GMO industry uses them extensively. Now let's look at um, some of the evidence. In 1989, there was an outbreak of a previously unknown condition, which was later named EMS. EMS stands for eosinophilia myalgia syndrome. This epidemic was traced to an L-tryptophan supplement from a single Japanese company named Showa Denko. Eosinophils are a type of white blood cell which fights infections and allergens. The normal range uh, of eosinophils in blood is 100 to 200 cells per microliter. In EMS patients, however, levels were 4,000 and even higher. At those levels, eosinophils attack normal tissue, causing damage and severe pain. 
The other part of this new disease is myalgia, which is a condition that causes extremely severe and uh, extremely severe joint and muscle pain. Symptoms also include swelling, rashes, congestive heart failure, and complete paralysis requiring a respirator to breathe. And death. All in all, this, I'm sorry? And death. We've had people die. And, and, and in 1989, right. I was in my training and residency, and they just said, you can't use tryptophan anymore. I mean, and then they never mentioned it was connected to genetically modified organisms in Japan. Right. It, it was, actually, and, and they still deny it, but uh, the CDC uh, estimates that five to 10,000 people were affected by this, and over 100 people died. So, yes, a lot of people died from this. Uh, but what caused, uh, this is a little, very little publicized, what caused the outbreak is the genetic engineering of a bacteria which was used to produce the L-tryptophan. Uh, Shoadenko initially used a non-engineered bacterium, but then started uh, engineering new bacteria to increase the output of L-tryptophan, which is what started the problem. With each new strain, their output increased to the point where the bacteria were so stressed that they started producing uh, potent toxin. This new novel toxin, which was present in extremely minute amounts, was so potent that it caused an epidemic of irreversible disease and death in thousands of people. Uh, it is worth mentioning that no other manufacturer used GMO bacteria and no other manufacturer caused the disease. Uh, and furthermore, after Shoadenko discontinued the use of their GMO bacteria, their product also ceased to cause any further occurrences of this disease. Um, well, as you might know, GMO bacteria are currently used in cheese production supplements, and the GMO industry are continuing to create many more and many more applications for uh, GMO bacteria. The symptoms of GMO toxicity might not be so easy to attribute to GMOs if they are common, such as obesity, diabetes, cancer, or heart disease, for example. Um, so, you know, if it's something that's common, uh, like cancer or any other uh, diseases, like I've mentioned, it might not be so easily attributed to that because, you know, it might be looked at as just, you know, just an increase in people's bad habits or, uh, or other factors that are already present in the environment. Uh, there's uh, other examples. For uh, example, there was a double-blinded placebo control study for, uh, done on GMO pigs that was published in 2013. The researchers, uh, researchers chose pigs because pigs are physiologically very similar to humans. The researchers used a large sample size of 168 newlywed pigs, both males and females, which were split into two groups of 84 each. The first group was fed GE corn and soy, and the second group was fed a non-GE equivalent diet. The GMO soy, and corn, uh, GMO soy and corn were used because both are very common in the U.S. and are regularly consumed by animals and humans. The pigs uh, under, the, under study were reared and fed the same con under the same conditions for 22.7 weeks, which is the equivalent Life, human lifespan of 4.3 years. It's not many, very many years in human terms. Uh, but what they found was that the GMO-fed group had 20% higher rates of stomach inflammation, and the severity of the inflammation was two to four times worse. 
stomach, stomach inflammation is not just an inconvenience. It can lead to malabsorption of nutrients and even cancer. They also found that the uteri of the GMO-fed females were 25% heavier, suggesting pathology. The GMO-fed pigs also showed liver damage. The liver, of course, is the main detoxification organ in the body. So imagine feeding your child food, which, is, which you assume is safe, and before the, uh, they reach the age of five, they already have, are, are riddled with chronic and life-threatening diseases. Wow, and how is this research received? Uh, like everything else that you know affects the profits of corporations, you know the research, the the, uh, the corporations always greet it with the same kind of, you know, um, they 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 attack it. They try to minimize it, uh, and uh, they attack the scientists personally, like they've done with Dr. Pusta, which you've mentioned. Um, and it's it's just the same old same with corporations. They uh, anytime you try to take away their profits, they react very, you know, very badly towards any kind of re- any kind of findings or the scientists that that find those those effects. Yeah, and I also understand. It sounds like the cigarette industry all over again, where they hire experts to confuse and create doubt, so the public doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, exactly. And Henry Miller, as a matter of fact, was one of those people that the cigarette industry has contracted to defend uh, their products. And it's kind of scary when you say that they put profits over our health. The same is going on with electromagnetic frequencies, where the independent studies show that there's uh, risk and it's causing health problems, whereas the industry-funded studies show the opposite. And last week, our speakers are saying you can't even do research in an an independent university because they have funding somewhere from some of the big agribusiness companies, and you can't come out with research that's against the desirable outcome or problems are created. Exactly. Both the NIH and uh, the uh, IARC in Europe, uh, which are the leading experts on cancer, uh, both came out uh, and said, after years of extensive studies, they said that uh, radioactivity from cell phones, cell phone towers, uh, smart meters, and devices like it that emit the same type of uh, radiation, the same frequencies, um, cause hearts and brain cancers. And these, this is just the tip of the iceberg because these are just uh, initial findings and they're continuing to do more studies. What's particularly alarming to me is I live a block and a half from 19 cell towers, and they want to put in more. Each each of these cell towers emits six watts. I might have the information wrong. And they've got receivers that collect 2,400 watts. Now, I understand that these have the ability, if they wanted to jack it up to that full potential, to just about... uh, I mean, it can stop people in their tracks. I mean, I've seen films that they stop, you know, use crowd control because it kind of drops people and they can use it for eavesdropping. So I'm wondering why do they have, you know, when they just need six watts, they have 240 watts receiving. Now, I might have details a little bit wrong, but it's kind of scary. And they're just pushing this through. And it was they try to do it in Piedmont. And I mean, I mean, I mean, are people... Don't, are they even concerned that they're doing these things where they can monitor us 
and have the ability to immobilize us just by jacking it up? I mean, are people even concerned about these things? That's right. Now they're starting to um, install all over the United States and, as a matter of fact, all over the world, the 5G technology, which is the military technology for crowd control, as you mentioned. Um, and uh, it's going to be used for the what, what's called the Internet of Things, so for you know, all sorts of devices, including self-driving cars. And um, this technology uh, has been shown to be extremely detrimental to to, um, to humans, animals, and, and the environment, causing all sorts of havoc. And even though, even though all these studies are out there showing harm, uh, they're more interested in profits and spying on people, spying on people's homes. And uh, just like with the smart meters, like I showed in my book, there's a bank of 21 smart meters right next to a bedroom window. And those smart meters are going to be used uh, to uh, communicate with your appliances. The appliances, appliance manufacturers are putting chips into the devices so that they can communicate with those smart meters to collect data on you and create this file on every individual when they do their dishes, when they do their laundry, when, they, when the appliance needs um, maintenance. Uh, what kind of uh, book you're reading, uh, what kind of what, when, when you're taking a shower, all this information, they're collecting all of it, and they're going to sell it to corporations so that they can advertise to you when you need maintenance on your dishwasher or when you, uh, you know, based on what book you're reading, like with the Amazon uh, device, I forgot what it's called, Google and Amazon have these um, devices, assistants, basically electronic assistants that um, uh, they can basically look around your house and see what book you're reading so that they can sell that information to Amazon or other companies so that they can advertise certain books to you. And it's really disturbing beyond the um, implications of uh, privacy. It's also um, saturating everybody with an endless amount of radio frequencies, electromagnetic frequencies. And we have had experts on the show, uh, Deborah Davis and Guy Hudson, have discussed this further, but Hardell's studies show that there is, appears to be a causative effect in acoustic neuromas and glioblastomas, which are brain tumors, and with cell phone use. And then, of course, some studies came out to the contrary. I think it's a Danish study and the Interphone study. But look at the controls they use. They were businessmen who were busy on their cell phones. So that data is going to be scooed. And we're going to be scooed too, I'm afraid. And similarly with fluoride, I mean, when the Clean Air Act came out, apparently we could, you know, put the fluoride somewhere and they put it in the water. Well, fluoride helps right. when it's on a tooth, but not in the body. It's a biohazard. And it, with mercury, you know, almost have to have a hazmat suit to get rid of it, yet they put this in our mouth. I don't think I can trust what I've seen of the government protecting us, you know, so when they put in this EMF superpowered 5G, can we trust them? I wouldn't. Um, you know, fluoride, like you said, it, there's studies that show that it helps with teeth, but even that's, those studies are questionable. It, it, it has very minimal um, uh, benefit for teeth, and the adverse effects are so much greater that it's, it's just not worth the risk. 
Uh, and um, as far as the brain cancers that you've mentioned, it's really no surprise because the, both the brain and the heart are electromechanical, uh, or, or excuse me, they're electromagnetic in nature. So any kind of an electromagnetic signal from the outside is going to affect the heart and the brain first. And those Swiss farmers that I mentioned that I interviewed, not only did they get sick when cell towers went in, but their animals and plants all got sick, and they had no idea what was going on until they finally figured it out. So it's not that these people are imagining things. I mean, their animals and plants were imagining the same things. Well, <laughs> so it's a lot of toxins in the environment, and we have to negotiate our way through so that we can try to stay healthy, although there seems to be an assault in our health. What is your stance on agrochemicals? Well, there is so much wrong with the concept of chemical warfare in nature. Stephanie Seneff, whom you've had on your show previously, has published many studies on the effect of glyphosate on human biology. The argument of the biotech um, and agrochemical industries, which are one and the same, is that Humans do not possess just the shikimate pathway. Uh, well, that is true. That is just one small convenient fact. What Stephanie Seneff found is that glyphosate inhibits the liver enzyme cytochrome P450, which is responsible for detoxification, among other things. I believe Dr. Antonio in Europe has found some of the same results. Okay. That's right, yeah. Uh, the... Uh, as you know, the uh, gut bacteria um, also um, possess the shikimate pathway, so glyphosate has been shown to negatively affect good bacteria while having no effect on bad pathogenic, pathogenic bacteria. And the gut bacteria is considered the second brain, um, so gut, because the gut bacteria produce breakdown products that our brain and immune system need for proper functioning. So a reduction in good bacteria and increase in bad bacteria in the gastrointestinal system has been linked to lower IQ, lower reasoning capacity, higher tendency towards violent behavior, cancer, attention deficit disorder, and so on. I'd like to add that we've had several experts talking about the gut, reaffirming this, and that the gut is a second brain, intimately connected. Some of these toxins will make our gut leaky, which makes our, which is connected with a leaky blood-brain barrier, which means all right. sorts of nasties are going to creep into the brain and create havoc. That's why perhaps we have so much Alzheimer's and autism. Yes, and, and there are other factors into those issues too, animal products and so on, which um, also cause some, some of these problems, but there's no, um, there's no doubt that pesticides and herbicides and all of those also cause, cause leaky gut syndrome and all that, which has been shown in many studies. But, so does EMF you know, and might, a lot of other things as well. That's right. It might surprise you to know that, I mean, that's an alarming number. 8.4 million children in the U.S. are on psychiatric drugs. Can you imagine that? 8.4 million children? And Easily. All the parents are begging me to put their kids on Ritalin. Easily. <laughs> that's terrible. I mean, 1 million of those are are five years old five years old and younger, and almost 300,000 are zero to one years old, what is making our nation's children so psychotic? I mean, that's, that's a lot of children that are... Well, I'm not sure that they're all psychotic. psychotic. It might be depression, ADHD, and we did have William Walsh in the show. So how there are other approaches for depression and some of these diseases with nutrition. 
and uh, Dr. Greenblatt that has a more healthy, nutrition-oriented approach to ADHD, which I think uh, composes a lot of these drugs that these kids are getting. Right. I agree. Yeah. And anyway, glyphosate's been found in breast milk and blood, in urine, pregnant women. I mean, it's been found in Antarctica. I mean, even our organic food, Dagnabbit, has a glyphosate in it. This is horrible. That's right. Even, even before you're born, you already have dozens of synthetic chemicals and heavy metals in your bloodstream at birth, which are passed to the child by the mother. And then, of course, immediately after birth, they are injected with a few more just for good measure. Our an government you know, is largely responsible for this. An interesting story is Dr. Michael Antonio told me he came to this country, and I know he probably eats organic. And with a week of California food, when he went back to Europe, his urine levels of glyphosate were so high that he told me, well, this is what my lab shows, that if you had it for a long period of time, you're going to get very sick. And I know he ate organic. I mean, he wouldn't say, oh, where's the glyphosate? Let's chow down. Yeah. It's alarming. Yeah. It is alarming, yeah. Well, part, the, the, part of the problem is the government, because they, you know, in, in response to herbicide and pesticide resistance, they continue to raise a safe limit for residue in food rather than address the issue. We know that even trace amounts in parts per billion or parts per trillion even of uh, endocrine disruptors can cause harm. For example, PFOA, which you might you know, be aware of, has been shown to cause harm in one part per trillion, which is the equivalent of one drop of water in 20 Olympic-sized swimming pools. That's, that's very, very dilute. It's a very small amount. And then, of course, there's the freedom, the freedom afforded to corporations to dump all sorts of toxin, toxins into our soil, our water, our air, all in the name of not dampening corporate progress and profits. Yeah, quite alarming. We have had several shows on toxins um, that you could look up as well. Um, I mean, we've had a couple in the past recently. And I don't think that glyphosate is the cause of all the world's ills, but along with some of these other things, such as EMF and fluoride and toxins and lousy quality food, even the deterioration of the soils and chemicals they put on this, in the soil, which goes into our food, which goes into our body, I think synergistically, all these things are adding together to cause an increasing level of sickness. Well, it's, it's synergistic because they have different mechanisms. For example, uh, you eat one thing and it's going to affect the body in one way, and then I mean, and then that some other thing will affect the insulin resistors receptors. So they're synergistic. So with the government studies and a one part per whatever, oh, that's not going to hurt you. But they're synergistic, so that you have one part here and one part there, and they act together by different mechanisms and make it far worse. And the studies do right. not account for that when they say, don't worry, it's okay. I mean, the the lead they found in Michigan and Flint has higher levels in several uh, cities in California and like at least 13% of the places they tested in New Jersey. I mean, this is rampant. Yeah, I agree. So 
I mean, some of the arguments that they use for GMO, it's like it's going to increase the food supply. I mean, let's not look at the distribution folks have worked in the third world. And there's a lot of issues other than just getting the food to the harbor. And they say, oh, we're going to need less insecticides. And this is so good. We're going to feed populations and reduce insecticides. Has that happened? Absolutely not. I mean, contrary to industry claims, herbicides have increased for many reasons. Uh, for one, HD crops, HD stands for herbicide tolerance, uh, are designed to be resistant to large amounts of herbicides. So the crops are regularly danced with herbicides to control weeds. And secondly, because the herbicide resistant, uh, resistant I'm sorry, the uh, because the herbicide resist because of herbicide resistance, farmers are having to spray more often in larger quantities and use multiple herbicides of higher higher toxicities. And insecticide use has also increased both because they have moved the uh, insecticide into the BT crop at much higher quantities than was previously used in sprays, and because due to pesticide resistance, farmers are using uh, BT toxins on top of the crop as well, uh, with sprays and so on. Uh, BT crops are genetically engineered crops designed to produce their own insecticide inside each and every cell of the plant, so that insects, when the insects feed on it, die, uh, they die off. Unfortunately, humans and animals uh, also consume those BT crops, and they receive those BT toxins in large quantities. Don't those BT toxins work by punching holes in the animal in the insect stomachs? They do, and they've been shown to punch holes in in the human cells as well, and that leads back to what you said earlier about leaky gut syndrome, and that's part of the cause of it. And in addition Scary. to you know the the insecticides and pesticides, we also you know have they've also increased chemical fertilizers, uh, which uh, it's also, you know, because of the depletion, depletion of the nutrients in the soils and, uh, and the depletion of uh, microbes, which has resulted from monoculture and herbicide and insecticide use. Yeah, and I want to warn, warn the listener, soon I suspect the companies will come out and say, this is glyphosate free. But what they usually do is find a far worse substitute, and there's many in the pipelines. For example, a lot of people going around with these nice little plastic bottles that are BPA-free. Guess what, folks? There's BPB through BPU, and some of them are far worse. So they substitute right. another plastic. And everyone's going around with great feelings of comfort and safety that they've been heard, and their containers are all BPA-free. Well, wake up, folks. Right. BPF and BPS actually have the exact same effect as BPA. And they, uh, you know, they claim BPA-free on the label, but they don't tell you what else is in there, which is often BPS and BPF. Wow. I sure lulled into a feeling of false security. Right. You, you'll get a laugh out of this. A few days ago, I got in the... Uh, uh, an email advertisement in my inbox from Monsanto uh, ah. about a new product <laughs> about a oh, new yeah. product that they are marketing called BioAg. This product 
product is uh, intended to supplement the soil with microbes to improve nutrient availability and yields. Now, isn't that ironic that they've been killing microbes in the soil for decades, and then they turn around and sell this, the farmers this microbe supplement? What's next? Are they going to completely poison all the water in the planet to the point that you can't use it to water crops and then sell farmers Monsanto ag water? It's one-stop shopping. Get it all there. Yeah. It's getting so bad that many farmers are now abandoning their lands due to uncontrollable herbicide and insecticide resistance. And sadly, all, this, all these issues have been known since the 1940s. For example, Rachel Carson has discussed in detail the horrors of agrochemicals and industrial pollutants in her 1962 book, Silent Spring, which is highly publicized. And even back then, there was a tremendous volume of science to show that we are on a path to self-annihilation, and sadly, not much has been done, and things are just getting worse. Did she mention DDT as one of your issues? DDT and DDD and many dioxins and many other um, toxic chemicals. Well, interestingly, one more toxic than the other. Interestingly, when I was in the Foreign Service in 1979, one of my tasks was is to, you know, you know, be backstop and make sure that India got the DDT we were sending it to as a condition of our aid. Later, I found out that we um, made it illegal in the U.S. in 1973. Kind of feel guilty there. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, they were using it um, to control malaria. Yeah, it was a malaria project. And then I also talked to somebody who was in the room. Now, is he the Hungarian minister or health minister? When Hillary Clinton came in and said, hey, I want to talk to you about GMOs. And the Hungarian minister said, well, you can do what you want in your own country. But here, it's in our constitution. We won't have it. Then the American ambassador to Hungary came in with the same request and the same response. They both abruptly, rudely got up and left the room. So we're not content to do this just to the United States, are we? Unfortunately, you know, the United States is one of the biggest um, biggest promoters of GMOs. And it's very unfortunate. And, you know, I mean, when you put these chemicals in, it's going to affect our soil. And the plants need the soil for the minerals. And as a, even a connection between the biome in the soil and the microbiome in our intestines. So that's kind of scary. But there's a bright side. Michael Ash, who was on the show, is developing a fertilizer that hopefully will replenish the soils a lot more quickly than uh, just waiting for nature to take its course. So have the GMOs solved all the hunger problems in the world? Yeah. They're, no, they're not. Absolutely not, Susan. Uh, first of all, we currently produce enough food for 11 billion people. And second, GMOs have not increased yields in the least bit. In 2009, for example, the UN, Union for Concerned Scientists released a report titled Failure to Yield. They found that GMOs have not increased yields at all. They stated that background genetics of the naturally bred plant that is used to create the GMO crop are more important than the alter gene in controlling yield increases. They also stated that traditional breeding techniques can be credited with all the yield increases to date. So what the 
GMO companies do is they take a naturally bred plant which has higher yields and they use it to insert their genetic, new genetic material into it. And they say, hey, look, we've increased yields. But really, uh, in many cases, uh, they even have reduced yields from the uh, isogenic plant, the plant that they use to create the GMO strain for from. But it's, you know, a little bit higher than the previous, you know, um, strain of, of the plant. So they can claim that they've increased the yields, but in reality, that's not the case. Um, and and so, they've been selling us a uh, bale of goods, too. They said it increases vitamin A, but you'd have to re eat so much rice that it's not pra a practical solution to increasing vitamin A intake. Yeah, that's the, exactly. You're talking about golden rice, which yeah. has been under development for over 20 years. Uh, and so far, it has been a total failure. To date, it has failed to increase vitamin A by any significant measure. And it has had terrible yields. Millions, if not billions of dollars have been poured into developing this useless crop while vitamin A is already present in very high quantities in many fruits and vegetables such as boiled kale, cantaloupe, boiled spinach, baked butternut squash, boiled carrots, and boiled sweet potato. Matter of fact, a single boiled sweet potato contains about 1,038% daily value of vitamin A. That is enough to satisfy the daily vitamin A requirement of 10 people. So the GMO industry creates a perceived issue so that they can offer a nonsense solution. Vitamin A deficiency is a real problem in some parts of the world, but creating a new crop is not necessary when there are so many other crops that are rich in vitamin A. All it takes is the political will to get those foods to the people who need them. But aren't some of the, many of our vegetables, aren't they becoming genetically modified? Some of our other foods. I mean, you know, it used to be that eat your vegetables and you'll be healthy. I question if that's the case any longer. Well, I mean, they're not trying to promote so much eating more vegetables over other foods. They're just trying to alter all the, uh, all the uh, plants in the world so that they can profit off of them, so that they can um, control uh, you know, control the, the the movement of food, control who has, who can grow what, and so on and so forth. They've actually uh, decreased the uh, biodiversity of many uh, many crops over the past several decades since GMOs have been introduced into the market. Um, That's very bad for the soil, folks. Died uh, off. It's very bad for the soil, folks. The soil needs biodiversity. Um, can't, uh, you know, to keep it healthy so our food can be healthy. So I think right. since there's more and more foods that are becoming genetically modified, how do we avoid them? I mean, is there alternatives to genetically modified foods for increasing yields and improving our nutrition? As I mentioned before, there, there are many alternative solutions to GMOs, all of which have already been used that can be increased. Uh, for example, a UN report on agriculture found that small farms are more productive per hectare and more diversified and more resilient to climate change, and climate change is becoming a very big issue. Conservation agriculture is another technique which uses the no-till uh, method and cover crops to reduce erosion and increase soil biome health and also reduce uh, the need for pesticides. And then there's agroforestry, pull push, integrated pest management, and organic farming, among others. 
there was a 30-year side-by-side farming system trial performed at Rodella Institute, which concluded that organic farming is far superior to conventional systems in every respect, health, fields, economics, and energy usage, and so on. So, no, we really don't need GMOs to feed the world. Wow. So what can we do to avoid GMO? I mean, I've been told that it's better to eat organic food because there's less GMO, but what can we do? Well, yes, organic is, you know, first and foremost, uh, in organic farming, synthetic chemicals are prohibited and certain natural products are allowed, products which are non-persistent and non-toxic to humans and animals. Uh, glyphosate uh, and other synthetic chemicals which are used in non-organic farm- farming binds to metals and reduce nutrient absorbent and synthesis. And for that reason, organic produce has higher nutrient density. Uh, Non-GMO certified, on the other hand, does not guarantee that no harmful agrochemicals are used. Many grains are desiccated with glyphosate days before harvest, and those residues remain in the food in the food chain all the way to your plate. So that could I be would, the re- that could be the reason that eating gluten in the U.S., which is very highly processed, uh, is causes more problems in pe- non-celiac people than you find by eating breads and stuff in Europe. Because what do they do to it? Gluten sensitivity versus gluten allergy, which is celiac disease, and gluten sensitivity has been going up quite a bit, uh, especially in the United States and certain other countries. And it has been shown that people who uh, are gluten sensitive in the United States, when they go to other countries like Italy, where they eat a lot of grains, obviously, in Italy, um, they can eat their pasta, they can eat their breads, and they're not sensitive to it at all. So, well, gluten sensitivity yes, the, the is nothing. Not gluten. gluten sensitivity is nothing to scoff at to the people who think it's a little bit trendy, because right. you have a leaky gut, which a lot of us do for all the reasons we've discussed, plus more reasons. Gluten gets into the bloodstream. Antibody response is mounted. And unfortunately, through molecular cross-mimicry, the gluten molecule genetically looks very similar to the thyroid molecules, to the islet cells and the Purkinje cells, the balance cells in the brain. So there's something, so the antibodies will attack these, and hence there's something called glutenataxia when it attacks the brain. And some of these people got better when the gluten was taken out of their diet. A large percentage of the people with Hashimoto's thyroiditis or autoimmune disease against the thyroid have a gluten sensitivity. And then also there's an overlap where some of these antibodies will attack the islet cell, which is another path to diabetes, but more treacherous in diabetes 2, leads you something to diabetes 1.5, where you get on insulin within several years. So uh some of these food sensitivities, as many of our guests have mentioned, are very serious, and they're really compounded by a leaky gut, which several of the things we mentioned is what's is really bad here. So, right. okay, so you want, you, I mean, animals, I think one guest said that 30% or maybe more of our insecticides come from the animals we eat. So what about eating yeah, animal products? Most, most of the GMOs, you know, in the United States and also elsewhere in the world are actually fed to animals. 
and uh, so when you eat the meat from animals and drink their milk or eat cheese, you're also consuming the GMOs and agrochemicals that those animals consumed and incorporate into their flesh, and they tend to bioaccumulate those those uh, toxins because, you know, a cow might eat in its lifetime before it's slaughtered. It might eat 17,000 pounds of food. Uh, no human eats that much food, and, and I, I don't know how much humans eat really in a lifetime, but, uh, you know, it's kind of tracked for farm animals. Uh, so they tend to bioaccumulate it in their fats and their tissues, or, and uh, and then we eat it. So, you know, fats and fluids, uh, not to mention all of the pharmaceuticals that are pumped into those animals to control disease due to poor conditions that they are raised under, as well as growth hormones and stress hormones because the animals are confined into small spaces and they're mistreated and all those stress hormones go into their, go into their blood and they settle into their tissues and then we eat that. So we're essentially eating their stress hormone and their, their, their feelings and their sadness, basically. Well, I'm not as concerned about their feelings as consuming those hormones, antibiotics and insecticides. Right. Well, I mean, if you think about, you know, you're consuming those stress hormones and which, which uh, you know, gets into your body and activates the same kind of response in your fight or yeah. flight, uh, you know, yeah. system yeah, in cortisol. your body. Anyway, and we've it, got five minutes left, and I want to get to the cancer part because you've done a lot of research on cancer. Right. So in the last five minutes, what's the cancer is becoming out of control? What's causing this? What can our listeners do to prevent it or even treat it, other than reading your book, of course? What uh, wisdom can you impart to them? Well, first of all, I'm not a physician, so I, I can't give medical advice, but I can tell you what the peer-reviewed scientific research is saying, and there is a lot that the public is not being told. For example, that chemo and radiation has a cure rate of only 3%, which is abysmal. Uh, and both also cause recurrences of cancer many times, new unrelated cancers and other terrible side effects. Those treatments also make future treatments less effective because cancer cells develop resistance and chemo and radiation don't kill cancer stem cells. Uh, mammograms have also been shown to be generally ineffective and even harmful can lead uh, to many false positives and it can also cause metastasis due to the high pressure, which is applied to the breast, which can rupture a tumor and cause cancer cells to be pushed into the bloodstream. Thermography is the safer approach. However, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So there are three phases to cancer, which are initiation, promotion, and progression. Initiation uh, is the mutation of a cell from normal function to an abnormal function of a cancer cell. Uh, which uh, this is a stage that is caused by toxic chemicals, animal fats, and animal protein. Uh, chronic systemic metabolic acidosis also causes, causes cancer, which is caused by the consumption of animal products, which are very acidifying, refined grains, sugars, processed foods, and lack of fruits and vegetables in diets, or reversing those kind of eating habits uh, to have a very big impact on cancer initiation. Uh, of course, initiation can also be caused by emotional and mental imbalances, which modulate hormones and expression of various genes. 
Uh, uh, we've only got two minutes left, so I want to emphasize some of the things I learned in your book about herbs and spices having a large amount of antioxidants, because obviously free radicals have a uh, part in here, and we've had a talk uh, on with Katie, Katie Wills on this in the past, minimizing grains and seeds. You know, some grades are, grains are healthy. Cancer cells love an acidic environment, so you should have an alkaline diet where possible. They also are right. known to like sugar. And um, basically, you say we're not omnivores. That You know, we have to be careful and eat uh, what we want. We have to avoid, I mean, avoid metabolic acidosis. Anyway, in one minute, uh, would you like to summarize? Obviously, it's going to be, let's eat healthy and organic, but what else would you like to say? Right. So fruits and vegetables, a whole food plant-based diet is a diet that has been shown um, again and again by very respectable scientists and doctors to uh, not only stop disease, but also reverse disease like heart disease and diabetes and so on and so forth. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, meat consumption, animal products, you know, like milk and cheese and so on, have been shown to cause all of these diseases. And when you cease to eat all those animal products and move to a whole, whole food plant-based diet, the, all those chronic diseases go away and your health improves. Yeah, and we're coming down to a close, so I would like to thank you for being on the show and recommend our reader go by with liberty and sickness for all. And you can learn more about these things and more details on how to keep healthy, avoid cancer, and possibly minimize the risk of cancer. So please, folks, go out and buy the book. Do your own research so you can help yourselves and others. And above all, please be well. Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week.